So this morning, I want to talk about the theme of how we both enter difficulties and cultivate joy. So the theme is entering difficulties, cultivating joy. And there's something about what we're learning to do that brings those two together. I think it's very, it's a very, for me, it's a very powerful way to look at our practice. We develop the capacity to enter difficulties more readily, more skillfully, and we also become more joyful, have more access to joy. I was reflecting and remembering that uh, um, several conversations with a very uh, dear friend of mine who I have to say is a very, very sensitive soul. And I remember her talking to me and she was like asking me, how can there be such incredible beauty at the same time that there's uh, such suffering? How do we hold the two together? She was posing this to me like, I don't get this. I just don't get this. This doesn't, this overwhelms my capacity, you know, to because she had tremendous access to the beauty, but also to the suffering. And how do we hold these two together? How do we see our practice as involving those, um, those two capacities? And I was, I was thinking of this uh, topic very much um, after the talk last week. And for those of you who weren't here, it was my uh, attempt to go into the area of Uh, Buddhist practice and the contemporary political situation, which felt challenging to do. (laughs) And several people at the end, we didn't quite have enough uh, time to talk afterwards. And several people said, can we have some more time to talk about some of those themes? And so to me, this um, general theme can give us some room to explore anything that was left over from last time that people want to go into. Because a lot of what we encounter when we look at the contemporary political situation would probably go on the side of entering difficulties. <laughs> you know, and, and some, of what, some of what we explored and some of what I talked about actually are hard things to contemplate. You know, the state of certain aspects of the state of the nation and I you know I talked I talked I gave a little litany at the beginning if you remember that was uh, that's that's sometimes hard to contemplate and the whole situation could uh, bring up that sense of uh, this being difficult and at the end the last I gave five guidelines for working with 
the current, you know, if we want to be active, what are some guidelines that let us do so out of Buddhist practice? And the last guideline was prepare for the long haul, (laughs) Uh, but also for immediate insight and unexpected change. And, And one of the areas that I didn't talk about so much there was... Uh, that there really are a set of qualities that help us prepare for the long haul. And foremost among them are qualities of being able to access joy and beauty and humor. You know, you know think of the tradition of humor in Jewish culture, which is very much connected with difficulties. You think about it. I mean, humor is it's, it's a way of being spacious and even having joy in the midst of difficulty. And some of you know this famous uh, song uh, by uh, one of the Hasidic rabbis, uh, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. It says, it has these very touching lines, a difficult time is, is upon us. We must not despair. Let joy fill the air. A difficult time is upon us. Let there be joy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, uh, it, it sounds on the surface uh, contradictory. So that's that's the kind of uh, creative tension that I want to explore, and I think it's also a particularly uh, powerful question in terms of Buddhist practice, because sometimes in our practice we can seem to focus a little bit more on the suffering aspect or the difficulty aspect, you know. And even in terms of the way the teachings come across, you know, you have the Buddha, what are the teachings about? Suffering. (laughs) The truth of suffering. The cessation of suffering and the path to the cessation of suffering. A lot of the way the teachings are expressed, you might say, are expressed more negatively. You know, the precepts are expressed in terms of what you want to refrain from. They're expressed more negatively. Just the way, even, in, I think it's something that comes out of the Indian tradition to some extent. You think of also of uh, uh, Gandhi's tradition of nonviolence. Again, it stresses the negative. Uh, ahimsa or non-harming. You know, but completely connected with that is the quality of love, which they talk about a lot. And the Buddha certainly understood that uh, we could also really focus on the... Um, on the beauty and the joy, but we don't always get that, do we? Sometimes we get, you know, sometimes we get these emphases, and sometimes even in our practice, we can be really, uh, just really uh, working a lot with uh, the difficulties of our life, the ways that our minds are sometimes causing us suffering, sometimes often causing us suffering, you know, and 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 so it's it's helpful, even though there's this emphasis on suffering, it's helpful to remember that one of the nicknames of the Buddha was the happy one. It wasn't the great teacher of suffering. It was the happy one. You know, that's how he was known. There was this luminosity and beaming quality. And again, it's when we think about it, it's the way that the, these two qualities are actually brought together. And I think what I want to suggest is that they're actually related. In some ways, we can't really 
go into difficulty too much without having uh, joy be more present because we get burned out. That's what happens to people who are kind of on the front lines or certain activists if they go into it, just focusing on the problems. Very common, right? Or just focusing on the difficulties of a certain work and, you don't, and there's not the joy. Uh, burnout and a certain despair are, are quite likely. But we could also say that we may not actually be able to have much joy unless we're willing to go into the difficulties. That may be harder to see because, oh, I'll just have my joy. I'm, I've had enough difficulties <laughs> or I'm through with that phase of my life. You know? And it's, uh, you know, when we think about it in certain ways, it's not so hard to understand because if our joy is based on a fear of difficulties, it's going to be a limited joy, isn't it? So, so in some ways, these two capacities are very related. And I think they, and it may be that as we are more sensitive and joyful, we also become more sensitive to the pain or the suffering. And they may be very related. It may just be the capacity of the enlarged heart, as it were, or the enlarged uh, heart-mind, or the enlarged life makes us more open to both of these. And so I think it's very useful to uh, think of our practice in terms of balancing these two qualities. So what I'll do for the remainder of the talk is I want to talk some about uh, entering difficulties. Actually, not so much. (laughs) I'm going to talk more about joy because I talked more about entering difficulties last week. So I'm going to talk about entering uh, difficulties and then... Uh, some about cultivating joy, and then just finish by talking about how, what it looks like when they come together more. So for, I think for many of us, uh, probably if we were told that we would get better at entering difficulties, we might not have signed up. You know, I mean, we don't put it on the brochures, do we, at Spirit Rock? Learn to be better with the difficulties that you're not able to face now that you will be able to face when you practice more. You know? But on the other hand, there's, for many people, there's a certain relief that comes from actually being able to honestly and openly be with difficulties or be with suffering. That for many people is an incredibly moving aspect of the practice. It's basically saying, I don't have to run from my pain. It's workable which is incredibly liberatory because we know how much we run from our pain, sometimes consciously, more often unconsciously. And so the practice is really an invitation that lets us uh, say, I don't have to try to get rid of my pain. I don't have to flee my suffering. It's workable. And we learn how to face our, our pain and our suffering initially in practice in smaller ways. You know, we may learn how to be with a knee pain. And I know for myself, the initial time in practice when I could be with some fairly minor physical pains and maybe some fairly minor emotional pains and watch the way that I wanted always to get rid of it, rid of them, 
we might say, and uh, and gradually learn, somewhat kicking and screaming at times, that I could actually be with the pain, and it was a revelation, as it, I'm sure it has been for uh, most or all of us here, that that one can actually be with physical pain without reacting. And we, we, we train, as it were, on the small knee pain, which will go away. And we learn that the problem is not so much the pain, but the reaction to pain. And we learn that, that there's vastly more pain in the reaction than in the original stimulus, which is, again, for me, was a revelation. My gosh, my suffering around this small knee pain seems to be like a hundred times greater in the reaction than if I just pay, when I actually just pay attention to the knee pain, it's not that big a deal. But I'm, I can't do it. It's hard. It's too hard. And that's, we do that training and we gradually extend it to more difficult experiences, more powerful difficulties. And as we, we can really see ourselves in training in this way, we're in training to be able to enter difficulties. It's not that we go running after them, generally, but more that when they come, and we don't necessarily seek them out, but when, it, when they come, we have some training that lets us be more skillful with them in ways that are conducive to our well-being and the well-being of others. And gradually, as we practice, we become more familiar with the territory of difficult emotions, difficult physical conditions, and other kinds of difficulties. We become more familiar with them, even at a certain point, being interested in difficulties. Not from a masochistic perspective, although I think that there probably is such a thing as meditative masochism. It's not written about much in the ancient text, but it's probably, it's probably real. Uh, and we have, that, that's where the balance with joy comes in, you know, because we have to ask ourselves, am I just totally getting into, getting into this too much without enough joy? Uh, but at a certain point, we can actually become interested, as I sometimes like to say, in our distress, in our difficulties, when they feel workable or somewhat workable, because we have a sense that when we can enter into our difficulties, we deconstruct our reactivity. And we deconstruct our fear. <laughs> I don't know whether that was... Uh, Saying something like "right on," <laughs> good point. <laughs> kind of like the choir in the church or something. Uh, anyway, we but we do that, don't we? At a certain point, and I think this is a point of a certain maturity in practice. We become interested in times where there's some difficulty. Again, not in a way that we try to let me extend this difficulty for a long time so I will learn a lot. I don't think it's there's again it's. It's more like it's happening. My conditioned reaction 
is to get rid of it instantly. You know, if I'm feeling some grief or some difficulty, but no, I have a certain amount of presence of mind and I can actually investigate it and learn something here. And I'm not going to do the condition reaction again. And we can actually say that and make a vow or something and try it out, you know, try it out at certain times. And we can do that because we have a sense that in a way we're facing our conditioning. And we can actually uh, have some interest in it. And sometimes, I think I've told stories from time to time of, of times when, a little bit like a warrior, we can go into a situation, it might be an interpersonal situation that has some difficulty, and part of us can know that I'm going to learn something from this situation. You know, like I just had the experience about two days ago, I co-teach a program called Socially Engaged Spirituality with two wonderful colleagues. And we love each other and we really, I think, work really well together. But we also have different styles, which means for occasional friction. And so two days ago, we discussed some of these um, places where there was some friction. And, of course, it's not totally easy, right? There's some part of me which, oh, I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to hear that. But I think there was another part of me which had faith that in going into the difficulty, I could really stretch and learn. You know, and, 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 and all of us at the end of the experience had a wonderful sense of being expanded because we were, we were treating the difficulties, you might say, with mindfulness and care and love, which is really what we, makes them incredibly workable. And it was really a very uh, positive experience. I felt lightened. I felt, uh, you know, because I think, I think, I don't know, I'll speak for myself, but I think we all, or I, I, I think I sometimes tend to think that um, um, people won't really love me if they see places where I'm sometimes difficult, you know? And it's, um, it's I think it's a deep... Uh, fear that probably most or all of us, how many people can relate to that? <laughs> yeah, okay, so maybe. <laughs> we may be on to something. Uh, and, and yet, in that situation, we knew that there was caring and love, and that's actually what transforms it and lets us, oh, then, oh yes, well, I can be a little lighter with this. And I can maybe be more skillful with it. Oh, yeah, and that was feedback that's helpful. I'll try it out. I found myself trying out some of the things a little bit differently just in the next uh, place I went, even though it didn't have anything to do with uh, teaching. You know? And so I think we sometimes have that eagerness or e- interest in being in difficult areas. And in the furthest development of that is really the figure of the bodhisattva. You know, and I want to... Uh, some of you know the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Shanti Deva. He talks about the Bodhisattva, the, the being whose interest is in both awakening oneself and helping others to awaken using all sorts of skillful means. And Shanti Deva, in a somewhat strong statement of this, of this perspective of having some interest in going into difficult areas, says, the Bodhisattva loves to pacify the pains of others. One whose mind is attuned in this way would enter even the deepest hell just as a wild goose plunges into a lotus pool. 
One whose mind is attuned in this way would enter even the deepest hell just as a wild goose plunges into a lotus pool. That's advanced training. (laughs) But maybe we feel aspects of that. When we go into the small difficulties, we're training for that. And maybe maybe that was poetic overstatement. (laughs) I don't know. So... uh, So we do that. We, we have more of a willingness to go into difficulties, and yet we have to have that balance with the joy. Because, again, we know that people who go into difficulties a lot, you know, if you're in the helping professions or maybe as a teacher or sometimes just as an ordinary human being, that when we go into the difficulties a lot, they can wear us down. And we know the phenomena in our work of burnout or despair or a sense of overwhelm is very significant. And we were talking last time about how some of us feel that in relation to the political situation. And this is where the cultivation of joy and perspective is incredibly important for our practice. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said it this way. Some of you know the... Uh, he starts off actually right at the beginning of uh, Being Peace. Many of you know this wonderful book. Right at the beginning, what's his first chapter called? Suffering is not enough. <laughs> only, a, only a Buddhist audience would really appreciate that title. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine someone from a non-Buddhist audience reading that title and saying, suffering is not enough. <laughs> well, whoever thought it was enough? <laughs> So here's what Thich Nhat Hanh says. Life is filled with suffering, but it is also filled with many wonders, like the blue sky, the sunshine, the eyes of a baby. To suffer is not enough. We must also be in touch with the wonders of life. They are within us and all around us, everywhere, at any time. And so this this, um, sense of joy... How does, that, how does that develop in our, in our practice? How do we cultivate joy? How do we let joy just be, be there more fully for us? Especially if, it's, if, we, if we sense that personally we may be a little more on the difficulty side than the joy side. How do we, you know, how do we cultivate joy? And, and what, what is joy really? What, you know, what is joy in terms of our, our nature? I think there are at least two main kinds of joy. One is the kind of joy that we may experience when there's a certain kind of experience. You know, it may be, again, it may be the experience of the beauty of nature or of someone we love or of doing something really well in, in our work. And there's a kind of uh, joy that we can, we can access at least for a while. I think the joy that is being pointed to in the practice is actually something deeper than the joy which is dependent on certain experiences. And the kind of joy that's being pointed to in this practice, I think is more the joy of our being, 
And the suggestion, I think, is that in a state of openness and mindfulness, joy is natural. So in some way, cultivating joy could be a bit of a misnomer. In some ways, what we do is we open to joy. We open to what's present. And this is expressed some in the Hindu notion of what the basic nature of the universe is. Some of you know that the phrase used in Hinduism to express the basic nature of things is sat, chit, ananda. Three qualities. Sat is being. Chit is something to do with uh, mind or sometimes uh, knowledge. And ananda means bliss. So the claim is that there's something about the very nature of the universe and of our consciousness which is connected with joy. And I think we, I think we have a sense of this as children, don't we, in many ways, that there's just a very natural joy just to explore, just to be with something. And we seem to lose this. We, we can look at our adult lives and see a lot of ways that that we don't have so much access to joy, whether it's in the pressures of life or something like overwork, right? Many of us work too much. It's very, there's almost not enough room for, for joy even to be there. Or we may have a certain kind of uh, strong judge or critical voice in our mind that makes it very hard to be joyful. I mean, it's very interesting to ask ourselves, what in my own being is in the way of my joy. And a lot of what we do in our practice is we deconstruct those dimensions of our conditioning. It could be the judging. It could be the, uh, the self-image, the need to be a certain way. It could be something that's more in the way we are in the world, the way that we do too much, which is very, very endemic in our, in our culture the way that we don't play enough, you know, the way that we don't pay attention to our dreams so much. You know, I've heard one person said that this culture, because of the way that people use alarm clocks and don't really stay with their dream life at night, we, we, we are dream thieves. The culture takes away the dream. We could say that we also take away our play. You know, we don't, how much do we really play? And these, these are some of the ways that we cultivate joy. In, in some of my own intensive practice, I found myself very surprised. I remember one point I was uh, doing the two-month retreat up the uh, hill here, and I was practicing a lot, and I was finding myself increasingly feeling a kind of contentment or joy, um, no matter what was happening. I think I was happy to be practicing. I was happy to be having my life dedicated to awakening, at least during that retreat. And what really surprised me one morning was I woke up, I hadn't had enough sleep, I was grumpy, I was irritated, and I had joy. And I said, whoa, this, this, is, what, this is good. <laughs> this is useful. 
there is some way that the joy was the larger container of my experience. And, you know, and it, it also, in meditation, I think it's something that we come to with a perspective. I think it's like, like Lynn, you were suggesting, joy is something that com- almost comes out of our bodies as well. There's a strong physiological basis to joy that when we, uh, when our minds are quiet and we, we start experiencing this enlarged or more vibrant energy in our bodies. And it's almost like, you know, physiologists tell us, yep, the endorphins are kicking in, right? And it's, it fills us with joy. And that can be present even if something difficult is happening. It's almost like it's a state of our being that we can access to that um, opens up our hearts and expands our minds and we can be present. And I was amazed. Oh, just, oh yes, irritated, can't pay attention. There's a happiness still there. And it's very, very interesting. I mean, I think this is, and not to say that after that day, that was my permanent state. <laughs> not, not so. But it was a taste of something that was a very, uh, very wonderful taste. And it's something that, of course, keeps coming back like that. So we can really... Uh, we can really know that kind of um, kind of happiness, and there, there's a way in which that kind of joy is really almost like emerging with the joy of life. You know, that's what the that's what the Sat Chit Ananda is about. There's, there's this wonderful poem that I found by a um, Eskimo shaman. This is, I think, I think from uh, yeah, I think from what would be now in uh, northern Canada. Uh, It's a woman shaman, and she says this, The great sea has sent me adrift. It moves me as the weed in a great river. Earth and the great weather move me, have carried me away, and move my inward parts with joy. The great sea has sent me adrift. It moves me as the weed in a great river. Earth and the great weather move me, have carried me away, and move my inward parts with joy. And my sense is that that is the the joy that is with that earth and with the, the water and so forth and the air. And it's not a joy which is dependent on everything going well on a particular day. It's a joy which can be there. I'm tempted to just say the words which came to my mind. It's joy which can be there on a bad hair day. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, how do we cultivate that joy? I think we, partly we just ask ourselves, what do I need to do to give more of that balance? What do I need to do to cultivate more joy for myself? Sometimes it's just giving oneself some time where joy might happen. It might be, again, oh, I love to be in nature, just do it more. Or be with people I'm close to more. And again, sometimes it can be just accessed by giving more time and energy to the things and people which which bring about joy. 
It's also, as some of you know, it's a formal practice within the uh, Brahma Vihara. One can actually do practices which cultivate joy. Particularly in the Brahma Vihara, the divine abodes practice, it's cultivating joy in the joy of others. But there are practices, we could modify them, there are practices that just as the loving-kindness practices open up the heart to care for another, one can do practices like that which open up the heart. And just five or ten minutes a day of those kind of practices can make a huge difference. Just, okay, I'm doing my joy practice right now. You know, I'm doing that every day. And it can make a big, uh, big difference. Um, Sometimes it might be to really uh, give reflections on uh, where our life is and, and maybe reflection on what we're great, uh, grateful for. Sometimes it might be through humor. You know, I know, some of you know that um, I received uh, clown training about a year and a half ago. I think you know I re- received a training in the clown school of San Francisco. And... To make a long story short, it brought about a lot of joy. <laughs> uh, so humor is, is, is wonderful for that. Um, so I think you probably know what to do to cultivate joy, right? People know? Mostly just pay attention and, and give, it, give it some room. So if we, if we know how to cultivate joy and we know how to enter difficulties, what does it look like when the two are as it were, working together. What's the direction of this kind of practice where we do both of them? You know, uh, first of all, I think it's really being able to acknowledge that both are valuable. You know, I think for, for many of us, I know especially for people who are working with suffering or activists, there's, there's often a sense that for me to be joyful when so many people are suffering is escapist, who are overly privileged. And I think, I think it's good to get rid of that nonsense. Uh, so I was, I was thinking of one of a person who's a friend, some of you know, Houston Smith. And there, he, he did an interview a few weeks ago that I heard, which really to me expressed something about the combination of mature ability to enter difficulties and mature ability to feel joy. He's 85 years old. And he was, um, he was reflecting, and he walks uh, often with a cane or sometimes even with a walker now because he has some hip problems. And he was reflecting in this interview about he saw it as part of his spiritual practice at age 85 to embrace his limitations with grace. <coughs> to, that's what his work was. Ramdas. Yeah, with Ramdas the same way with his stroke. It was to embrace his limitations with grace. And in a way, you could say, it's acknowledging the difficulties of aging, but holding them within a larger whole and with the difficulties and the joy are embraced almost as life is embraced as a whole. Embracing them together. Having the joy and the awareness of the limitations. I was also thinking of the way that... uh, we get a sense of, um, in African-American spirituals, and to some extent the blues, there's also this very powerful sense of witnessing the suffering, entering the difficulties, 
but cultivating joy. You know, and it's always sometimes a struggle as to which one will win out. But it's, they're, both of them are there. You know, and that's, I think it's the work of a lot of art or the creation of beauty to help us bring those two together. There's, um, I'll just close really by mentioning two other, two other people that really suggest this, uh, this balance. One of the most striking expressions of this was expressed by a woman named Etty Hillsum, who I've talked about before, who um, lived in Holland, short life, actually. Uh, was born, I think, in the 19... Uh, 1918, I think. 1918. Yeah. 1918 in Holland, somewhere around there, around, around that part of the uh, century. In, in Amsterdam and uh, was Jewish and the Nazis came and she kept a journal of her life from 1941 to 1943. She eventually died in Auschwitz and she kept this journal and it is an incredible journal of a woman who starts as a fairly superficial young woman and within a few years is expressing understandings that are as profound and mature as one could imagine. And in particularly, there was something about her willingness to go into the difficulties. Now, this is totally advanced bodhisattva training, so I don't mean to hold this up as an example, but there is a way in which she was able to go into the difficulties. She wanted to be with the people who were suffering, so she volunteered to go to the transit camps. Her friends wanted her to escape. She didn't do it. She wanted to be with those who were suffering. And when she was in the camps, she said, she, she began to feel this incredible joy. It was as if she could feel the joy of life even in those circumstances. It's basically saying the joy and the wisdom are deeper than the difficulties. That's what it's saying very profoundly. So I just wanted to read Etty. E-T-T-Y, Hillisum, and the book is called An Interrupted Life. It's an incredible book. I just wanted to read maybe one. um, Let me see if I can find the quotation I wanted to read. Yeah, here it is. Now, she was in a transit camp. It It wasn't a death camp, but it was still very hard conditions of deprivation. She said this, The misery here is quite terrible, and yet late at night when the day has slunk away into the depths behind me, I often walk with a spring in my step along the barbed wire, and then time and again it soars straight from my heart. I can't help it. That's just the way it is, like some elementary force, the feeling that life is glorious and magnificent, and that one day we shall be building a whole new world. Against every new outrage and every fresh horror, we shall put up one more piece of love and goodness, drawing strength from within ourselves. But she's actually experiencing it. She's not just giving herself a pep talk. The joy is actually present amidst the difficulties. And so I thought I would just end with a very nice part of a poem by uh, Mary Oliver, which I think to me also expresses something about the mature balance of the ability to enter difficulties and do so with joy present. This is a little bit subtle, 
So open up your your subtlety. <laughs> maybe not so. Maybe it's subtle to me and not subtle to you. So we'll see. Um, but it's subtle to me. For years and years, I struggled just to love my life. And then the butterfly rose, weightless in the wind. Don't love your life too much, it said, and vanished into the world. I'll read it again. We'll have a vote later as to whether it's subtle or not. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, for years and years I struggled just to love my life and then the butterfly rose weightless in the wind don't love your life too much it said and vanished into the world it's from the poem called One or Two Things in the uh, New and Selected Poems so I think that's saying don't get too preoccupied with the difficulties or even overcoming the difficulties or even cultivating joy. There's something about life. The butterfly weightless. The joy is something deeper or broader. Thank you. So any reflections or comments or questions, um, please, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was kind of the, I felt a little bit of the missing piece that didn't get focused on quite enough, in my mind at least, last week. Please, yeah. Please, yeah. So how, how best to be when it's um, not workable or not possible to go into difficulties? What's the wisest or most compassionate thing to do? Because I think we're not saying that one should just automatically be able to be with what's difficult, right? But how do we, how do we act as wisely or compassionately as possible? Do you have, do you have any sense of that? We, we talked about, we talked uh, several months ago, didn't we? About a month, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah, and I remember that. So you're talking about really what are not the small difficulties, but the most immense difficulties imaginable, right? The worst, yeah. Well, it it may be that, uh, and this may be also related to the talk last week, because we're really, we're talking when we talk about the current political situation, we're talking about something very big, huge, and what you're talking about is huge, right? And sometimes it doesn't seem at all workable or approachable. Um, From the point of view of this practice, we still can work with the small stuff. And it's... uh, it's not at all the sense that we should be able to deal with the most difficult things immediately. That's crazy, right? That would be crazy. 
nor is it to judge or blame ourselves for not being able to deal with something. But, and this may take a certain kind of faith which may or may not be present, but, but from the point of view of this practice, we, could still, we can still work with the small stuff. We can still work with the, you know, how, what do we do? How do we, um, basically, how do we take care of ourselves so that we can be um, attentive and mindful? How can we just care for ourselves somewhat? And I don't, I don't know. It might be it might be something that others have some. I'm sure everyone has some experience here, of how over time could you deal with something which at one point was totally unworkable. What do you do? What do you do in the interim? And sometimes it's just to say it's unworkable. Um, I take a break <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, but in this, in this practice, we take the small things as training for the large things. We can't always deal with the large things at all. But we do the training with the small stuff just from sitting on the cushion and being with a small knee pain and learning to be compassionate with that and learning to open a little bit to that. And that's, that's the training for the, for the big stuff. Because we all have to deal with the big stuff, right? Yeah, do you want to? It sounds incredible. I mean, it just sounds, you're very brave just to be here, I have to say. And to speak of that, and I know it's harder than anything I've had to deal with in my life. Way, way harder. Any, any further questions or reflections? Find it where you can. <laughs> Maybe a last question or comment. Yeah. Well, I just had a comment on this book you were reading by. Um, Thank you. Maybe last comment, if it can be brief. Well, <laughs> well I want to. I want to finish in just a few minutes. Thank you. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's a hard discussion because there, as I said, there. Yes, last time there are a lot of confusion. It's also I, I want to recognize that for a lot of people, come to a meditation hall to get away from the world. You know, maybe in the long run that's not where they want to go, but in the short run, there, it's a need for refuge and for healing, often. And the last thing they want to hear is about. Uh, something they do their best to stay away from. So it's complex, or a lot of, but I think it is, uh, it's part of our lives, like you say. And the people who, I think they're people, maybe to tie it to the theme, they're people, when, when I read, for example, the life of Martin Luther King uh, Jr., I see how he was able to enter into difficulties, obviously, in a very profound way. But one can also, and one can also find him with very intense existential moments where he felt on the brink of losing balance. Can can see those in his uh, biographies and autobiographies. But there was also, 
I think this probably came especially through the, um, through the church and his faith. There was also really clearly a way that he had a regular practice of joy in the midst of all that he was going through. There was a way, and there, there are lines that are in my mind from hearing some of his talks. Like you said, you know, I was feeling despairing and I went, and I went and renewed myself. That occurs in his writings a lot, the sense of the potential of renewal. Um, and I think he had access to that, or someone like Thich Nhat Hanh, or the Dalai Lama, you know, who have witnessed incredible suffering. They seem to have, they seem to have an ability to access joy at the same time, which is really, um, I think that's what I'm, I'm encouraging us to see how we can, what, what, it's really what our next step or next steps are to work with that balance. And it's going to be very, very different for each of us. You know, for some of it, it might be go to more on one side, for others, more on the other side. For some, it might be to um, have the courage to go into some of the difficulties. For others, it might be just to say, you know, just just let me let me open to more joy, even a little bit, and let me let me uh, commit to that. So I think that's a way to really to um, end the morning is to reflect individually. What's an appropriate uh, next step? Mm. You might just sit for a moment as we as we close, just to uh, reflect on that question. And so we finish by the traditional practice of dedicating merit, of offering the fruits, the benefits of this morning, any insights or understandings, commitments or intentions that come out of this morning. We know that we do this practice not just for ourselves but for others as well. And so we offer the fruits of the morning for the well-being of all, the awakening of all, the healing of all, and the joy of all. Thank you 